You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the fabulous Feinstein's 54 Below. Before we get started this evening, just a polite reminder, please take this moment to silence your cell phones. Also, there is no flash photography, please. Welcome to the Feinstein's 54 Below podcast. I'm Nella Vera, the club's marketing director. And today we have with us an amazing performer who has appeared on stages from New York City to Kuala Lumpur, which we're going to talk about in a second, performing in shows such as Andrew Lippa's The Wild Party and Wicked. She has sung with the symphony orchestras and released a solo album titled I'm Not Waiting, whose title song was written especially for her by Andrew Lippa. On February 25 and 28, she returns to Find Science 54 Below with a brand new show entitled Soothe My Soul. Julia Murney, welcome to our podcast. Well, hi. Thank you for having me. We're so excited to have you back and performing in person in Broadway's favorite basement. <laughs> I love a good, a good sexy basement. <laughs> On your show page, you describe this setup as the magical situation known as a non-Zoom concert. Have yeah. you done a lot of Zoom concerts over the past two years? I've done some. I certainly have been aware of other friends of mine doing a lot more. And it's so funny because there's a certain world where I my reaction might be like, oh, I wish I had been asked to do that or whatever that is. But in general, I was like, cool, I'll just watch. Because it's so, <laughs> <laughs> it was so much. But it's part yeah. of what the entire notion of all the songs that I chose for this evening and why I called it Soothe My Soul, because it was just that kind of a thing where I still feel feelings about what's going on. There's no part of me that feels like, well, this is, we're back to normal now at all. Yeah. And in the same way that I am incredibly grateful to everyone I know who did make art during that whole lockdown and every and it was so beautiful to see and it felt like I still had a connection with my friends and all that kind of stuff. I personally, to be perfectly honest, did not have a song in my heart at all. I did not want to sing. I was just like shut down. So I mean, honestly, part of the reason I say I haven't done a show in my last solo show in New York was also at 54 Below. And I think it was about eight years ago. I oh, do wow. not do them often in New York City. Outside of New York, I do them, but it's different. Like in New York, it's, I don't know, in my brain, it's a different set. It's a different thing. And they stress me out. <laughs> They're very, some people are like, just, I know people where I feel like every three weeks, they've got themselves a solo concert going on somewhere at a, yeah. or at 54 Below with different themes and different, like different shows every time. Yeah. I'm like, how, 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 how are you doing that? Yeah, it's amazing, right? It's like. You're not the only one. I have to say there's so many performers that we approach because we see them doing concerts all over the place and yet they don't want to do one in New York. <laughs> it's it's different. I know it shouldn't be, but it is. It just, it feels different. It's, I mean, the only thing I can truly equate it to is like when I did Carnegie Hall and it wasn't a solo show, there were four of us in that. And it was a whole Stephen Schwartz evening with the New York Pops and I was so nervous, so nervous, like Stephen Reinecke, who's the conductor, who I'd done so many concerts with elsewhere. He was like, who are you? Why are you? And I was so, and I kept trying to be like, you've done so many of these. This is just another one of these kind of concerts. It's just a hall. It's just a band. But it was, well, A, it was my hometown band, like my real hometown. I've all, I've lived here my whole life, but yeah. also just 
you can't pretend it's not Carnegie Hall. You just can't. <laughs> yeah. And in the same way, you can't pretend that it's not New York. Yeah. You never and, know who's sitting out there. Yeah. And it's not even, and never know who's sitting out there doesn't mean like fancy people who can do things for me. It's people who actually are there on purpose. Oftentimes when I've done shows outside of New York City, it'll be part of like a subscription series. They don't know who I am generally. <laughs> I'm not famous. Sure they do. You know, I'm, I'm, I like to say I'm gamous, frankly. Uh, and hopefully they go away satisfied, you know, and entertained. But generally, like at 54 below, below it, it's on purpose. Someone's yeah. there on purpose because yeah. they know you. And that's a, it's hard to explain that that's a weird, I think for some people, that's a feeling of, I'm trying to think of what the right word is. Of, it's a boost, or a challenge or, a, and they, and I'm always like, Ooh. <laughs> I don't want to apologize before I've begun, but yeah, well, I want to. yeah, I guess I had never thought of it, but there's so much competition in New York for outings that if somebody's coming to your show, they really meant to come there because yeah. they could have done 200 other things that night. And in this day and age, or they could have done nothing because yeah. a lot of people are also doing that. So the fact that people are like, I'm going to go into a basement to watch, you know, <laughs> this person perhaps work her anxieties out on my dime. <laughs> like, You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but then when they asked and like, it's really, it's a, the notion of getting to make music with Will Van Dyke, who's my music director and with a band, all of that sounds delightful. It's just then in the doing of it comes the freak out. Yeah. And have you known Will a long time? I have. Will was actually, when I made my album in 2000, it, it was at the very end of 2005, very beginning of 2006. It came out in 2006. That's what it was. Will was Andrew Lippa's assistant. Oh, wow. He did music stuff for him and whatever. And that's when I met him. He was a, a little baby. And now he's a fancy baby. And he's currently the music director for Little Shop. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So he's awesome. Oh, great. Great. Well, I'm going to ask you, because you do mention the word magic in your description, show description, one of the many roles that you've played in your acclaimed career is Alphaba, of course, in a little show called Wicked. So, of course, everybody in my office is just so beside themselves about this, because many of them, my younger staff saw you on tour. So they said, ask her what it's like to play such an iconic character. So they would like to know what was it like? And also, how long did it take for her green paint to yes, stop showing up in your life? The most, yes, that's one of the, <laughs> the popular question is always about the green. Well, so, okay, so twofold. What it's like to play such an iconic character is it's two things that run on parallel tracks. It is fantastic and you get to feel like a rock star and it's satisfying because it's a great show. The audience is almost predisposed to be with you on the ride. And everyone I worked with, I can't speak for it, but like everybody that I worked with were just the most glorious group of people and talent and all of that stuff. So that part was awesome. Then there was the part where it's really, really hard. And there is a fandom with that show that is beautiful and so loving and so supportive. But the other side of that fandom, oh, woe unto you if you are not their favorite witch. <laughs> and no. I, yes. Oh, yeah. It's rough. And oh where it gosh. is rough is in a generally in a specific place that can be avoided called 
chat rooms and the internet and things like that. If you can just, I mean, I just had a long conversation yesterday with a woman who is about to be a new alphabet, who I don't know, but she was pointed to me as an elder witch. And one of the things I said to her was just stay away from those chat boards because there are going to be things that are nice that are going to make you feel really good. But baby, (laughs) when they come for you, I think it's because people feel a real ownership is the only word I can think of. Mm -hmm. Their experience to that show tends to be so personal that they just feel of any show I've ever done. Wicked is the one where the audience and the fandom, that is another character that is another element of the show. They are as part of the show as everything else. They really are. Yeah. Because their love and their enthusiasm is part of why the whole train keeps going. And they care very deeply about these characters. I mean, a big thing in Wicked Land is if you were their first alphabet. I get that. Like, oh, you were my first. Doesn't mean you were their favorite. But it means you were their first. Like yeah, They remember special. the first time they saw the show. And that's special to feel like you were part of an experience that was so special for someone else. Yeah. That part of doing Wicked is beyond. It's so yeah. great. Well, I would think it's so fun to see different people in parts when you love something. Mm-hmm. And it just, uh, that's upsetting to hear that people, well, you know what? It's interesting because Andrew Barth Feldman said the same thing to me about being in Dear Evan Hansen. I'm sure. And he I'm was 17. Sure. Of course, he's not going to stay away from the internet and social nope. media. And <laughs> he just said the first time he read these comments, he was like, what? And he's 17. He's like the right age. And he was fantastic. When well, I it's awesome. The show was completely different. He was great, but it was completely different in a good way. Like you saw I'm a sure. different way of looking at of this course. character. I've, I mean, I've only seen Ben do it. So I can only, yeah. I think there is also something to... If you've done something and then you walk into a room afterwards and there are 10 people and nine of them go, hey, great job or something like that. And number 10 just goes, hey, and walks away. (laughs) Here's where we are screwed up because we are human beings. Yeah. We immediately, many people, I'm not going to speak for everyone, but I and many other people leap to the place called Number 10 is clearly smarter than everyone else. (laughs) Number 10 knows the secret. And number 10, because we're all waiting to get found out any moment. We're just waiting for the musical theater police to come knocking on the door and be like, (laughs) we know, we found out that you're faking and you're not good. So come on out. Come on out. We're taking you to musical theater jail. It's so funny. Every artist that I know who is so brilliant is the same way and I'm like Everyone. how is that possible and, it, and I, I've said that like anybody <laughs> anyone who's listening to this imagine whoever your favorite is I promise you that person feels that way not always but from time to time <laughs> well I will say I will never forget you in Andrew Lippa's The Wild Party which I was working at MTC at the I time I remember and I think everybody coming to that show was like, who is this woman and why is her vibrato so amazing? <laughs> and I, I just, I mean, it was like the buzz and it was an all-star cast. So what was, was do you cast. remember what that experience with, oh, was yes. like with that cast and, oh, and that totally. team? I mean, I also worked on that show from the very first reading. Oh, wow. I didn't know All that. The, yeah. So it was part of my bone marrow at that point. And it meant so much to me. It truly did. And although over the, I'm going to say it was about four, four and a half years or so of development, 
I did it with all different kinds of people playing all the different roles, all of whom I hold in my heart. But the cast that we did the production with, because we did like a full actual rehearsal with a full actual run of a show. I mean, there, I am still friends with people from that show. And I mean, good friends that I speak to all the time. And it was such an embarrassment of riches. Everyone was just so good. It was such a thrill to be near it and in the middle of it. And one of the things I think about, like at the top of act two is when Adina had her big number, her um, life of the party. Mm. And she kind of never sang it the same way twice because she's one of those vocalists who can just do stuff on her feet, riffing around. I can riff ish. And if I do, I have to do homework. If I do Mm -hmm. it on the fly, you're not going to want to hear that. But I, in the number, was sitting in a chair right behind her, basically, while she did whatever did. So I got to witness it live every night. And I was supposed to be frozen. I couldn't react because part of my body, like I wanted to leap out of my chair and scream at everybody like, do you know what you get to see right now? (laughs) You know, it's just all of that was so anyone who gets to share a stage and exchange emotions with Brian Darcy James is a lucky human being. You're a very, very lucky. He's so dreamy. And, he's and of a, course, he's, he's playing the bad guy in that. But <laughs> I know. But it, but it's so funny to me that now that he's a movie star, but he's done you know several things that are TV or film musical wise, and he never sings. Yeah, and you know, we've been <laughs> trying to like, lure him back to Fifty Four Below. He was the second artist to play at a Fifty Four Below in twenty twelve, and just the fact that he doesn't sing anymore just crushes me. it's it's but it's a lot like it's it's hard and i'm not gonna i ain't gonna lie it's the older you get the harder it gets which is why i look at someone like patty lupone and more to the point i listen to someone like patty lupone and i'm like protect her at all costs how on earth she can still sing the way she sings and I'm not calling her old, by, but but she's a mature, more mature woman. Yeah, yeah. My voice is like, yeah, you got five minutes left. You know, it's just she's so extraordinary. And because it's so muscular, she's yeah. not like a light lyric soprano. It's just that muscle is. Yeah. I am enthralled with hearing. It's so funny. I was just literally having that conversation last night with somebody about Patty and her voice and how she's incredible just- in company and her instrument. I don't know if she does exercises or just I'm sings sure every day. She does. But it's I don't so know. I mean, I don't know what she does, but it's there. Yeah, it's amazing. Fair, I don't know what I'm talking about. It's also possible that she doesn't do anything. <laughs> Carolee Carmelo has never taken a voice lesson in her life. <laughs> and she sounds like that. You know, it's just yeah. people will blow your mind. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's like an athlete. Sometimes you just have really broad shoulders. and <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, and to that end, if you're born with broad shoulders and then you decide you're going to go into, I don't know, the javelin or the decathlon at the Olympics, then you start working out your muscles so that your shoulders, but there's still the initial, someone who's super slight, it must yeah. be very difficult to work themselves muscularly into a very broad shouldered human. Yeah. And so there is the part where it's just genetic gift that Patty's chords came the way they came from the gods. And then she figured out what to do on top of it. And it's also because she's such an amazing actress. Yeah. 
that it's all rooted in story. It's so funny with her. I remember seeing her in that recent Sweeney Todd with Mm -hmm. Michael Servers. And I, for the first 15 minutes, was like, this is wrong. This is not how it should be. And then particularly her character, Mrs. Lovett, I was like, this is not Mrs. Lovett. And then about 15 to 20 minutes into the show, I just became overcome. And I was like, oh, my God, this is brilliant. What she's (laughs) doing in the show is so brilliant. But you have that resistance. And it's because she's such a great actress that it's not just the singing. She really, she makes a choice and it's a strong choice. And you may not agree with it, but she's going to suck you in and convince you that it's the right choice. And that to me is always more in the end, in terms of a show, in terms of like theater, I'm more interested in someone who can tell a story than someone who can just sing and sing and sing. I'm impressed. I still bow down to vocalists who have Mm -hmm. whatever, but I do love a storyteller. Yeah. And I, I will tell you a sidebar about that Sweeney Todd. Yeah. When I went to see that Sweeney Todd, I sat down and there was an empty seat next to me. And then this other woman and she and I started chatting. Her name was Sheila. She was from Chicago. I remember that because of the alliteration. And she had come in from Chicago and Sheila had bought a seat for herself and a seat for her coat. Oh my gosh. Oh yes. And we were in orchestra seats, P.S. And she allowed my coat to sit there as well, which was very nice. (laughs) It was the winter time. And at the end of act one, Sheila from Chicago turns to me and she goes, do you know what? I think that Patty Lupone is actually playing that tuba. (laughs) And I went, oh, oh yeah. No, no, no. They're all playing the instruments. They are the band. There is no other orchestra. And she goes, well, I'm glad I'm sitting next to you. She did not. Who comes all the way from Chicago, buys a seat for their coat, and doesn't know the gimmick? Hilarious. I love it. I love love it. Sheila, if you're out there, Uh I think of you kindly. Uh I also, to go back in time, also remember you in Time and Again, which was a show. (laughs) You're the one. (laughs) I love that show. Time Travel Musical. Come on. And now, when I look back at that show, I think, oh, it was ahead of its time. Because... First of all, I thought about it because I th- saw a thread on Twitter that said, why doesn't theater have more genres? Why doesn't musical theater have more genres? Like not just romantic comedies or musical comedies, but where's the sci-fi? Where's the horror? Where's like the different type of musicals? And I was trying to think back, were there any sci-fi musicals that weren't the roller skating trains or any fantasy? And I thought, no, we, we're kind of just stuck in the musical comedy or romance. And then every now and then Sondheim throws us a sophisticated or Tom Kitt throws us something different. I think the trick of that is like, because everything's heightened, right? Everything's heightened. And that's why you start singing in a musical. I mean, the kind of basic Betty of it is when you can't speak anymore, you sing or you dance to express whatever emotions are going on. And it's already weird. And there are some people who hate musicals for exactly that reason. They're like, I don't know why people just start singing. They just cannot go along with it. So every level that you put on top of, like everyone can relate to love. Yeah. Different aspects of love. 
and then it moving like heartbreak or joy or whatever leading you into song but every layer that you put on top <laughs> that is not reality makes it more and more difficult for people to be like i'm on this ride i'm totally yeah. on this ride be a total the most ridiculous show a sci-fi musical or it could be the most brilliant thing you've ever seen right and people try yeah because really time and again romance it was was a love story it was a total love story and i feel like manhattan theater club kind of pretends that show never happened but i know that it did (laughs) i look at that poster every day on my way into the office every time i go up there i take a picture of the poster (laughs) for those of you listening up in the green room there is a poster of time and again one of the only posters that exists and i take a picture and i send it to laura Bonanti, who <laughs> was my foil in the show. And I'm like, look, 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 it happened. Well, I loved it because I l- love the book. And I also just love time travel and the idea. I think that might be my superhero thing. You know, they always say, what would you choose? What superpower would you choose? Oh, time travel. I might choose time travel. That's a good one. Um, you yeah. know, just to have a peek and see, wow, Absolutely. like, what was Absolutely. that like? But you would have to remember the rule. You can't <laughs> talk to anyone. You can't touch anything because you will affect all, everything that comes so, up. Maybe I would first choose invisibility and then time travel. There you go. Oh, now, now you're being, now, uh, <laughs> I'm being now you're just taking all of the <laughs> superhero. <laughs> So is there a part that you have played that's particularly special to you? Well, Queenie in The Wild Party, for sure, is always the first thing I think of. Because I worked on it for so long, I was part of the development of it. And that's like the kind of brass ring ultimate thing to have to get to experience that. Mm -hmm. Something that's written on you, something that feels a part of you. Alphaba meant a great deal, but to a certain extent she felt borrowed and now she just feels she feels shared now with many but back when I did it there were only I was I think number five on Broadway there were not a lot of women who had done it and I had seen everybody who had done it because they were all friends of mine but because the original cast was so indelible it was hard and I I can't sing like Adina that's not my She and I are apples and oranges in so, so many ways. So I had to approach it from some different angle because I couldn't be her. And no one wants me. I mean, I'm sure someone would probably be like, I'd like to see just the carbon copy because I missed her. But I don't want to do what she did. Yeah. Although you have to, to a certain degree, because that's the way the show's written. But yeah, I mean, Queenie is sort of that number one girl. And I will say that as I'm thinking about it, I, I got to play mother in ragtime. I loved that I even like I got to play Donna in Mamma Mia and fun and at the Muni and when that came up I think I was kind of rolling my eyes a bit like I guess I'm gonna do Mamma Mia I had the best time oh my god that show is so much fun and at the Muni it's so fun it's 11,000 people screaming like it's a rock concert and there are also things I mean I did a play several years ago off Broadway called Falling that was I remember, very yeah. intense. And mm-hmm. I got the hell beaten out of me every night. But that meant a great deal to me too, because it was a play, because someone entrusted me with just speaking and yeah. not having to sing. So right. yeah, they're all special in their way, you know? Yeah, yeah. All right, we're going to take a break and then we're going to come right back and we're going to talk about Kuala Lumpur. See, we took a break and now we're back. Did your break. I do want to ask you, because I obviously, like many people on the planet, love to travel to exotic places. And even though I I haven't been to that many exotic places, but one can wish. So your bio mentions that you've appeared 
all over, including Kuala Lumpur. So what brought you to Malaysia, that exotic land? I know. I did a symphony concert in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, conducted by the aforementioned Stephen Reinecke. Oh. Uh, and it was myself and Katie Rose Clark, who oh was a gosh. Glinda from Wicked. Yeah. And we went and did the story, as I recall it. So the Patronus Towers, which are these two double towers in yeah. Kuala Lumpur. And for a while, they were the tallest buildings in the world. And then like Dubai or somewhere built you know, something else. Yeah. They got taller. But when they were building that, they did not have a national orchestra. And they decided they wanted one. So they didn't even have one yet. And they built an orchestra hall, a music hall inside the Patronus Towers. And it's built with like the most extraordinary sound bouncing wood that you can find. And it's a gorgeous hall. And then they assemble, I think it might be, I think it's seasonal, a seasonal orchestra. Where there were people playing in that orchestra from like Europe and all over the place. And they just job in. And we went and it was wild of all the places I thought I'd be singing Defying Gravity. That wasn't one of them. That was not on my bingo card, <laughs> but I got to check it off. <laughs> How it amazing. Cool. Yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. Did you get a chance to travel around for a couple of days? Unfortunately, I didn't travel around Malaysia. I was only in Kuala Lumpur. But when we were done, I went by myself to Bali. Oh. Because I was like, well, um, that far away, I'm going somewhere. And I looked on the map and basically, I mean, this is reductive, but above Malaysia yeah. was Thailand and Cambodia. And I yeah. had been there, but below Malaysia was Bali. I was like, haven't been there. Oh, <laughs> going. Incredible. So I went there. That's next I, on my list on a whole area. Cambodia, Vietnam, Thailand. Oh, stunning. I, I didn't get to do Vietnam. So I, I have to go One back. One day, you yep. know, another yep. symphony. <laughs> I know that's the thing. That's the thing. I want to figure out how can I get on the circuit where I just am like, if I just keep picking it, can I tell you? <laughs> where have you traveled to that you've loved? Mm. Is there like a place that you love traveling to or have been to? Um, you know, I certainly love. And the first time I went there was to sing Australia. I love Australia. I've been there a few times. I got to go and teach in New Zealand, where at the end of the two weeks, it was myself, Andrea Burns, and Jonathan Groff. Oh, my God. And we did a concert together. And it was so funny. We each did a duet with each other. And Jonathan's request, Groff's request to me, was that we sing As Long As Your Mind From Wicked. <laughs> And I was like, really? That's the, and he was like, oh, yes. Can we do the staging? Can we do like the, whatever the original staging is? And I was like, okay. So he came in with like a big water bottle as if it was a lantern and he went in, he was in. <laughs> I also made him make a joke of it. And I was like, you're going to have to bring pillows in because most of that number you're down on your knees and my old lady knees are not going to manage that well. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm going to need a pillow. That's adorable. Oh. Uh, yeah, I, uh, there, there's not many places I've gone that I haven't liked. I truly believe that no matter where you are, you can find something to do and something to see, even if people look at you a little askance. Like, I mean, I do remember the first time I went to Australia, I had a really, on the way home, I had like a six hour or something layover in Brisbane, Australia. And I kept asking people where I was prior to that. So I have this six hour layover in, in Brisbane, what should I do? And so many people are like, mm, there's nothing to do in Brizzy. And I was like, <laughs> there's gotta be something to do. And I didn't do anything particular, but like, 
I like sort of clocked what the city was and they have a whole art center. It's on the river. And I took a walk. Like you can just go and explore and see what there is to see. And it gets you out of your little cocoon of nonsense or as I like to call it, sitting in your filth, you know, like it's just, it's so easy to do that. And the second you step out, then the world just expands exponentially. And it's even beyond things like I could probably go somewhere and just to discover that not everyone knows or cares about everything that goes on in musical theater is actually a good thing to learn. Yeah. Because you forget. Yeah. Or, or in your country or your city. Right. That's what I mean. Like that's the microcosm. And then it starts ballooning out from that. And then wherever it is that you live, wherever it is that you reside in a nation and how you are being viewed, how your nation is being viewed from the rest of the world and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's fascinating. The world is very tiny and very large. Well, people, what I love is that I think we're so spoiled because we literally have two C's around us and then two large countries and people don't realize just how some countries are border to border with five other countries. And my boyfriend's in Jordan right now and he's like squished that's, in there. What is he doing my, in Jordan? Wait, he, that's crazy. I, that's where I want to go in April. I want to go to Jordan. Oh my God. That's, You'll that's have what to I've talk been looking at. <gasps> he's there for work for two weeks. Um, oh, he's working is he going to see Petra? He's already gone to Petra, which is why I couldn't even warm my way into this trip. He's oh. already done all the fun stuff with other people that are not me. So he's just going for work for two weeks. But he goes to a lot of these kind of weird, odd places and he's there. And I was looking on a map because just to refresh my memory. And I was like, oh, my God, they are seeing. And to yep. me, it's like, how yep. did they manage to stay Jordan after yeah, they're pretty all chill. this year. They're pretty chill and, in and the how middle did, of some volatile stuff. How did these yeah. five other countries not keep pushing the border in on them? Well, even, well it's like, American even, intervention, I know, but still, you totally. know, <laughs> it's incredible to me that they're in this little hotbed of activity with totally. these other countries. Even in Europe, for example, have you been to Belgium? Mm-hmm. Fabulous. Love it. I've been there twice. But Belgium is surrounded on like, I'm going to get my geography wrong now, but like on the north by the Netherlands and then on the, I'm going to say on the eastern sort of tip in sort of Germany type and then France on the end. And Belgium is small. It's a small, small country. I don't know what the comparative analysis would be to like the size of New England. I'm not sure. Like, but it's even smaller, um, maybe. But it's small. And I remember I was biking with my friend and looking at these fields, these beautiful fields. And I thought, oh, everyone wanted this country because if you passed through Belgium, you got to other places in in terms of wars in Europe. And what was it like when you lived in this little tiny village and all of a sudden on your cobblestone streets, you hear huge trucks and tanks and things coming through and not because they actually want anything to do with you. They want what's on the other side of you. And it's as if the states were at war with one another. Yeah. I think it's the only way we could, because you're right, we don't know yeah. what that's like. And also when you're surrounded like that, you have to get along or have to figure out how to work and live with these other countries and states near you. Whereas we have the luxury of just being so isolated, these huge oceans on either side and Mexico and then Canada, who's lovely. So it's like nobody's (laughs) coming across a border and causing. It's interesting to me. I think if more Americans could travel 
I think viewpoints might be different. Yeah. And I wish they would travel like beyond Epcot, which is also awesome. Don't get me wrong. But I feel like for some people going to Epcot and going to like Mexico, the the, the Canada (laughs) and the Mexico and the Morocco. And they're like, we've been there. It's the same thing. Not not really, but okay. Um, And I love Epcot too. I was just there. I love Epcot. I just... When my mom was alive, she loved Mexico. So we would always go inside and do the Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, it's so so fun. So we are huge followers of your social media account. And I have been asked to ask you about your Instagram handle, Peppa Mama. (laughs) What does that mean? My dog's name is Pepper. Oh. Like the spice. And when I initially Instagram I was not on social media at all like I'm not on Facebook I have never been on Facebook I am on Twitter now but I had a very like I don't know how I feel about that stuff and I kind of got talked into Instagram because some friends of mine were like you know you can just post pictures you don't have to and I love taking pictures and I love and so I got into it but when I signed up for it I felt that in my brain, I would just be, an, I could be anonymous. Like just my friends would know mm-hmm. that it was me and no one would, not like anyone really bothers me, but so hence it's not my name. Yeah. And I think I initially wanted it to be like Pepper's mom. Yeah. But it was taken. Oh. Okay. So as I had to pare things down, it became Peppa Mama and it's totally not private and anybody can follow <laughs> it. And it's like not anonymous if you know yeah, yeah. And that is me. Well, you can search by your name now. Yeah, and it comes up. Yeah. Exactly, uh-huh. exactly. But that's what it is. It's uh, it's my okay. dog. It's my little girl. Oh, it's funny. Um, there's some of us who are very proud not to have our name as our handles like on Twitter because we were early adopters and we were part of this kooky community and we didn't think it was going to be anything. So you signed right. up with like a crazy name, like what you might sign up for those old-timey AOL chat rooms. And so none of us from that area had our name names and half of us are stubbornly hanging on to our original Twitter handles. I'm not not changing it. I'm like, I'm not going to be my name. Somebody was like, you should make your name. It's more professional. I'm like, well, first of all, they can search for me. So, but I'm not giving up my OG Twitter handle. But I also feel like whenever somebody says to me, I know I got, I got to get on Twitter, I guess I I, got to get on Instagram. I'm like, hmm. You do you don't gotta do any of that. <laughs> I think if it is interesting and or brings you joy, I've paired way back. I do go on Twitter still, but I've paired way back from the way I used to be on Twitter because it just I feel like within two scrolls of a finger, I'm in a toxic soup and I just can't do it. Yeah, I, I am aware of what's happening in the world. I'm not in a fairyland. But I will go on Instagram and I will look at people's babies and people's dogs and people. And even like today is Valentine's Day. And look, and I am a single person. <laughs> it happens to be on this day. And does that kind of like make me feel feelings or bum me out? Like, I guess a shade of it. But really, <laughs> I just love seeing all yeah. my other friends love. Yeah. Like, it's sweet. Oh, I love seeing sweet babies. Thing. My yeah. friend's babies, I obviously don't have one and don't want any, but I love seeing yeah. when people have babies or new partners. And um, I love the dogs yeah. oh, the so dogs. much. And there are people that I do not know who make me laugh. There is a person who will be guesting with me on one of my shows at 54 Below who I met through Instagram. Oh, fantastic. Who I saw her performing and I was like, Yay. wait, I love her. She's a rock star. And one day she happened to do a cover of something from the wild party. 
So I wrote to her and I was like, or I liked it or whatever. Yeah. And she direct messaged me. She's like, I'm a fan and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I, I wrote her back. I was like, I'm a fan. And then I randomly just reached out. I was like, hey, would you come sing with me at 54 Below? And she's like, yeah. And then, I don't know, a week later or something, her name's Ellery Ward. Like a week later, it was announced that she's opening up for Josh Groban on his tour what? this summer. What? I was That's like, so crazy. Ellery Ward, I got you before you were <laughs> the hot shite. Oh my and gosh. She's awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. See the but good that's an, side of social media. She's an Instagram miracle to me in yeah. my life. That's amazing. Yeah, there's people I've met on Twitter back from the olden days that I'm friends with now that I met through Twitter. It's so interesting to me that good friends have come. I'll bring it around in a full circle for you. When I was in Kuala Lumpur, our hotel had this bar with a pool that was kind of inside on the very top of the, and we were up there one day, it was the afternoon, and we watched this huge storm come rolling in because we were so high up, we could see it. And it was really cool. And I was taking pictures and somebody commented and said, are you at the, I don't remember the name of the hotel, like the Holiday Inn, it was not the Holiday Inn, but whatever <laughs> it was, it was very easy for me to click on his handle and look him up really quickly and discover that he was like this guy who lives in San Francisco and clearly just travels and loves theater. Like he wasn't a creepy person. Yeah. Yeah. And I wrote him back. I was like, I am. He was like, cause we're downstairs. I'm like, what? I'm upstairs. Come up. Oh my and God. He and his boyfriend came up and we are friends now. Oh my God. That's it's a Twitter miracle. Crazy. Yeah. I love it. Love hearing good things. To wipe away all the toxicity Absolutely. out of our Twitter feeds. Absolutely. Um, I read on your wiki that you were named after a Beatles song. True? It's true. That is true. Um, I don't know who writes. Who writes Who wiki? wrote the wiki? I, I don't know. you did. I, or your you, agent or somebody. Uh-uh. <laughs> it's just I've, volunteers write wiki. So Somebody writes that and I don't know who it is, <laughs> but they know that piece of information about me. I was indeed named after the John Lennon song, Julia, which he wrote for his mom oh. who died when he was, oh, I should know this right off the top of my head. I believe it was 15. Oh, wow. And it's on the White Album. Oh. And it's one of the only songs that he wrote like solely by himself. Most of their songs were a collaborative effort. Well, uh, but, I love yeah. your name. It was my mother's name. So, um, yeah. And so I've always loved that name. Aside from the Beatles, can you tell us who your musical inspirations are? Hmm. Are there singers or genres? Well, growing up, I was definitely obsessed with the Bette Midler album, The Divine Miss M. Mm -hmm. Obsessed. And she hits so many different genres. Again, kind of like what we were saying about Patty, like, she doesn't just sing. She sings with all this intent mm -hmm. and storytelling. And I was so taken by that. I mean, I was seven years old or something. I didn't know that's what I was just like, it's fun. But I loved her. I loved when I was in junior high is when I started singing in choir. I did choir because all my friends were doing choir. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll do choir. I wasn't like, I must perform mm -hmm. at all. But I was an alto. And so I very quickly learned about harmonies and things like that. And so then I would become obsessed with whatever was on the radio. And in the eighties, there was a lot of harmony going on in the radio, mm -hmm. like great vocalists and just like figuring out how to pick those harmonies out against the songs that were coming out of the boom box. And I knew musicals, but I didn't 
I wasn't like a full musical theater nerd until I was older. Growing up, I didn't. I mean, I saw Annie on Broadway, the original Annie, because it was like a law. If you were a child of a certain age in the 70s, you had to go see Annie or you at least knew it. I mean, I lived in New York City, so I got to see it. But my gateway drug to musicals was Dreamgirls. That was the one, hands down. Dreamgirls was the one where I was like, holy cow. And it wasn't just because, it was also because I saw it. It was the first time I watched something and understood that there was a person, this director, who made the transitions happen. And the transitions in that show were off. I was so good. And I was young. Like, it didn't occur to me before how the sausage got made, you know? Like, I just was like, oh, I don't know if I thought it just arrived fully formed on a stage. I don't know what I thought. But Dreamgirls, it wasn't just the performances, which it was Mm -hmm. to a great extent. And my heart in Dreamgirls was Loretta Devine. Mm. She was just... Because my friends and I used to go and you could do this back then. We used to go and second act the show. Of course. I remember those days. Her number, her big number was in act two. So I saw Ain't No Party over and over again. And if I ever have the honor of getting to meet Loretta Devine, that will send me a little (laughs) bit because she was, woof, she was everything. When did you know that you wanted to be a performer? I went to a summer camp when I was in high school for two summers called Stage Door Manor. Oh, yeah. The famous Stage Door Manor. My gosh. The famous Stage Door Manor. (laughs) And that camp was filled with like true musical theater nerds and it was kind of like, I had to catch up. <laughs> I, had to, <laughs> I had to get in there. And everything there was filled with such passion. I mean, these kids were living their lives. And I, at that point, I was in high school here in the city. And I went to what is now called LaGuardia, which is the high school of the arts. Mm-hmm. So I was already surrounded by a lot of artistic people and, and things. But that camp was where all these kids who maybe at high their high schools in New Jersey or Long Island or wherever they were coming from were sort of shunned because like, oh, you like musicals? Yeah, exactly. But it's stage door for three, six or nine weeks of a summer. They were in their element and they got to really just revel in what they loved. And I suppose it's the similar to like if you're really into soccer and you go to soccer camp. Yeah. Those are your people because you can all sit there and talk about like the Premier League in England and yeah. like whatever, except we were talking about like, have you seen Baby? You know, it's <laughs> like that. <laughs> Incredible. That's so fun. So let's talk about your show without telling us obviously too much. What can you say and what can audiences expect? Huh, what can I say? It's a relatively random hodgepodge of songs. I can say that. Mm-hmm. I can say, don't expect anything from Wicked because it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I can say there are a few songs I've done before, but stuff generally that I've done before that I have not visited in a long time. And then everything else that I chose was, like I said before, it's either specific songs that made me feel a certain way during this whole pandemic, either made me feel soothed or feel, or, you know, whatever. It's just a bunch of things that are stories that make me feel feelings. Hopefully most of them joyful for everyone else. It's not an evening of like all oh my gosh, I want to go like drink bourbon in the corner. <laughs> like It's not depressing. It shouldn't be depressing. We have a couple of those coming up appropriate for a couple of nights here or there. 
But I, I mean, think... I've, yeah, I've, I, there are a few of them. <laughs> Mostly it's topical without being super on the nose. And mm-hmm. is this nebulous enough? Yeah, no, it sounds amazing. <laughs> Can't wait to see it. Julia, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been so fun. Thanks. It's been it's so nice to see you. And I get to see you in person. Exactly. In just like a week. Is it almost. almost a week? Oh, my gosh. Well, a week from Friday. It's already Uh-oh. the middle of February. Huh? I'm, I'm, I'm so stressed. Now, that, see, I just stressed myself up. I just well, gave myself a spoonful of anxiety. <laughs> we couldn't be more excited for your show. You can catch Julia on February 25th and 28th at Find Science 54 Below with her new show, Soothe My Soul, which we are sure will do the same for you. You've been listening to the Find Science 54 Below podcast, part of the Broadway Podcast Network. Subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.